We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. What do you think about the Lakers team now? You follow the box scores, the games every day, just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by BetOnline.ag and Deal Dash. I'm Pete, but not joined by Darius today. I'm uh, joined by a, 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 an old friend and, and now co-worker. There are a handful of people in my life that I consider to be wise. And he is the only one of them who is younger than me. <laughs> so, uh, it is the great Lakers reporter, Joey Ramirez. How you doing, my friend? Uh, you know what? I'm doing great after that intro, Pete. I, I was kind of <laughs> feeling like this was like the La- like the Lakers of today, where, you know, Braun sits at the empty of the bench, Darius ain't here, so you're bringing <laughs> Joey off the bench. Um, but after that, oh, man, I'm ready to go. Let's Let's do this thing. Joey Horton Ramirez. All right. Let's see what you got, baby. All right. So, yeah, let, let's talk about this team, man. They're two and three in the bubble. Um, I, uh, you know, you kind of get the temperature on Twitter a little bit and I just want to speak my piece real quick and hear what what you got to say about it, Joey, is my level of, there's things that I'm not concerned about. There are things that I'm, I am concerned about, and there are things that I'm not sure about yet. 
I, in most of the columns, I'm not concerned. And there are a couple of things I'm not sure yet. Very little, like, like this is an okay shooting team that's streaky. That's like a legit thing that's happened throughout the rest of the season. Now, what I'm about to say comes with the caveat that there is no guarantee that this is not the sign of some larger funk, right? Maybe this is some cursed gym where everybody but Kyle Kuzma shoots 5% from three. I mean, maybe it, maybe that's what happens. We lost some of our mojo back in March with this whole layoff. All of that's possible, right? But the Lakers, like, Quinn Cook started. THT came in the middle of the first quarter in that game and played big minutes. LeBron didn't play. AC didn't play. We can debate the, like, I've got some concern about us ramping up over just three games before the playoffs, but it is clearly obvious that they have not started the ramp-up yet intensity from the team. Again, we can debate the merits of waiting that long, but they've clearly not ramped up yet. Yeah, and you know what? I, I'm going to cite one of our mutual uh, friends here, Mike Trudell, who pointed out that there was not a lineup that the Lakers played today that will will probably be a lineup in the playoffs. So right. as it pertains to this Houston game, it really did kind of feel like a preseason game where it wasn't even necessarily Vogel experimenting with lineups. It was really him getting guys run, getting guys right. like... Taylor Horton Tucker, like Jared Dudley, played 11 minutes. Quinn tonight. Cook. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Like you said, Quinn Cook in the starting lineup. Contrast that with Mike D'Antoni, who was playing pretty much a, a seven-man mm-hmm. rotation, plus yeah. some minutes for, for Michael Frazier. Shout out to the Lakers 2015 training camp. Um, but playing a super tight rotation on the mm-hmm. other side of things. So there, to me, there wasn't too much that you can learn from the lineup data in this game. What I do think is interesting is that this is kind of a pattern with LeBron James teams, right? That these final four games of the regular season, and obviously this is a very different end of the regular season than any other ends of the regular season, but the final four games of the regular season, you, you've seen LeBron's teams kind of hit that throttle just a little bit to, as they go into the playoffs. Now, I, I was curious about this. I looked it up, Pete. The last six teams that LeBron has been on that have gone to the finals, or excuse me, the last five teams, that have reached the finals, so not including last year's Lakers team. Mm-hmm. They've gone 6-14 and 14 in the final four games of the regular season. Mm-hmm. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's eight games under 500, and all of those teams reached the finals. Right. So I don't – I, I kind of turn to that's you to help stat. me parse I, – I, I do tend to I, – I turn to you to help me parse through this because there is that pattern there with LeBron James teams. And going into those box scores and into those uh, game logs, you do see – that it's, it's a mix of, hey, LeBron's actually playing 35 to 40 minutes in some of these games, and some of these games he's just not even playing, like, the, right. like he did today. Um, but there is that established pattern. And so I'm kind of going to throw the ball back at you. What do you kind of make of a stat like that? I, I think that supports kind of what we're seeing in my lack of concern in that, like, if we were trying and playing as hard as we're capable of playing and we looked like crap, then, yeah, of course I'm going to be concerned about that. But this is just so – I've, I've watched tape on this team. I know what this team looks like when they're really going for it, and this just isn't it. They, they really wanted that Clipper game, or at least they played – like it was sloppy as hell, and it was obvious that was the first game any of – Clippers too, right, had played. Uh, and so I, I don't want to act like this was some midseason game, but they, they went hard in that game. And then they've – 
done that here and there, and I think that that's reflective of a team going 6-14 and 14 in the last four games over the course of five seasons that ended in the NBA Finals is indicative of a throttle downward that is, you know, very apparent both not just in – because it goes – look, they started Quinn Cook tonight, THT got run, but this isn't the first game where they haven't looked that great, right? Like I said, they're 2-3. and three. They have not played particularly well. They certainly haven't shot the ball well, but – there's been a a significant throttle down. Now that said, I would feel so much better, Joey, if we had some history in this gym, in this bubble, in this environment where I've seen them like ball out. And I do think they've got to kind of recover like some of the joy that they played with. They were so fun, man. They were such a, a joyful team that they've got to, I don't know how much of that is a switch that they can flip. So that is, I think that they're going to have to recover that. The idea of seeing like Dame in the first round, I don't feel great about, but I like, I I do think they need to start working in that direction. Yeah. You know what? I do agree with that. I, there's a lot of talk recently about, well, does momentum exist in sports? I tend to be somebody who just, I, I, I can't picture it not being a part of the way these guys feel and they approach the games and, and, and kind of similarly hand in hand with that the idea of, I think this Lakers team really did feed off the crowd, both at Staples Center and on the road. You know, Lakers Mm -hmm. Nation does travel incredibly well. Um, When the Lakers are rolling, pretty much any road arena can become that Mm -hmm. Lakers home game field just because of how many Lakers fans pack the the stadium for specifically this team to see LeBron James and and Anthony Davis in their hometown, you know, maybe once every year. Um, So I I do wonder about factors like that. but what it comes down to for me is those are, those are ancillary factors that may sway a few possessions a game in, in the long run. And I think you and I kind of both agree that when we look at the macro sense of this team, yeah, we don't have data on how we, – we don't have a huge sample size on how they're playing in Orlando in this, you know, in these strange conditions – where you know they're not sleeping in their own beds, they're playing in front of virtual fans, and who knows what, uh, whether the dimensions of the gym itself impact the game. Um, but what we do know is that come playoff time, superstars tend to tend to determine what happens to players and to teams in the postseason. And we do know that LeBron James and Anthony Davis have track records when it comes to the playoffs. LeBron. Doesn't really, you know, we don't even really have to touch on that because he's LeBron James. He is, by most accounts, a top two player of all time, no matter where you slot him in that top two. And then Anthony Davis, yeah, his sample size is definitely smaller come playoff time. But I think anybody who's watched those games yeah. for, for the Pelicans in, in his, you know, on, on his record, he was just such a monster in those games. Even in those, those, loss, those series losses to Golden State, mm-hmm. he was the, arguably the most effective player on any given night. And if, it, it, you know, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson obviously can get hot in, in an instant and they can mm-hmm. take over games like few players in this league can. But the fact that he was in the conversation, right? Exactly. And, and with a lesser infrastructure on that Pelicans team compared to what was happening on, on those historic Golden State teams. Right. So I tend to put more stock into the combination of those two guys. Now, the one thing, and I think you and I were getting around to this, the one thing that does buoy or sink those two guys and basically superstars of their caliber writ large, especially two superstars that do so much work in the paint is shooting. And the Lakers shooting has been 
extremely subpar in Orlando so far. So, again, I'm going to throw this one back at you again, Pete. What, like you said, this is a Lakers team that goes on shooting binges and shooting famines. Do we think that this is another one of those? And if it is, do we think that it's one of those things where it does, where it can extend into the playoffs or does it eventually run its course? And sorry, Pete, going to throw one more hat onto this one. Is is it crazy for me to almost want it to happen now, going into the playoffs? <laughs> As a, like, if you were to tell me you can get this streak, oh, this slump over with right now, or it's going to hit you in the middle of the first round or early second round, I think we'd probably say let's just take our medicine now. Yeah, I mean, if if I were to view things through that that lens, you know, like if it had to happen, sure, I'd rather have it happen now. I'd rather have, not have it happen at all. And and this is this is an Achilles heel of this team. There's a version of this season that ends with us shooting like 23% in a playoff series from three because everybody got cold at the same time or close to it, right? That's what we're seeing now. And this is not the only time that's happened this season. Now, I think there are a lot of other versions of this, more, more versions of this season where they regress to the mean, right? And a couple guys are hot on w- one night and a couple guys are not. But it's more normal, right? It's, it's, but that's, again, what they've done. They've had streaks where, hey, they've jumped from – they've jumped 12 spots. I remember they did that a couple times early in the season. It's early, right? But they, they made some massive moves forward because they'd go a week shooting like 48% from three. And, you know, we're hopefully going to see that. I'd feel a lot better if we'd seen it in Orlando in that – gym in that environment already um but it's it's just something that like yeah that is a legit can that is one of the things that can end our season prematurely so that is the thing that I am genuinely concerned about but in the greater context of how they're playing and all of that I'm I'm really not by the vast majority of it they're getting high quality looks from three especially on the games that LeBron played in this is not something that I I have uh, that I think will last. I think there's going to be some, you know, positive regression to the mean there. So, uh, but we played Houston tonight, and I think that there were some takeaways. They're one of the more interesting matchups in the, all of the NBA. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Joey and I are going to discuss how the Lakers match up with Houston and kind of Houston from the theoretical small ball taken to its extreme perspective. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's a bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over a 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means that every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code LAKERS20 or DealDash.FM backslash LAKERS20. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M backslash LAKERS20. Sports are coming back and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24 7. 
And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Horry. See what they had to say on what it's like to be playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit BetOnline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's one word, promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. All right, yeah, so we uh, we faced Russ Sat in this game, and I think he's a big piece of this. Uh, back before the trade deadline, long, long ago, the Rockets traded Clint Capella. They really reshaped their roster to where you've got Covington and Jeff Green, and except Frazier's getting some minutes for them. Uh, you've got, you know, a, a, a different roster where they have pretty much fully committed to everybody's going to be 6-7 and be able to hit threes and we're not really going to play any bigs at all. We're going to take this idea that we've committed to and super, super, super commit to it. They beat the Lakers pretty handily at Staples Center when they played before the stoppage of the season. And then in this game, which was, again, more of an exhibition game, they, they won. I don't, I don't put a ton of stock into it, but I do think that there are a few things that can be gleaned from that. But on a broader sense, Joey, what are your thoughts on the Houston small ball experiment? I mean, I think it's fascinating. I think that that there are so many different ways that champions have emerged in this league. You know, the, the Showtime Lakers redefined what it means to play with pace and to be efficient with pace. Um, the the 2014 Spurs, you know, the beautiful basketball team, the Detroit Pistons that uh, that upset the Lakers in 04, that really clamped down on the defensive end. I think most champions commit to an identity. And mm-hmm. I do respect Houston for committing to an identity. Now, do I think that that means that they're going to win the championship? No. I, I think most people would say that they're probably – that they're definitely not a top three. They're probably not a top five. But they do have that variance because, you know, you just never know what you're going to get out of a team this strange in a given night. There, there's an old saying, I think it might be Mark Twain, that the, the greatest swordsman in the world doesn't fear the second greatest swordsman. He feel he fears the unorthodox swordsman or the or the person who mm. who has never picked up a sword in his life because mm-hmm. he doesn't know Can't what to predict. expect. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know what to expect from the second greatest guy, but you don't know what to expect from the guy who's never done this before. And so that's kind of what Houston's doing right now. We've never seen a team like this, and I do think it was Pat Riley who said that basketball eventually will be pay, played by all six, seven guys right. on, at all five positions on the court. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I do think so. So with that outline. I do think that this can work. It just it will take the right guys to make it work, and that's true for every championship team. Um, I think that this Houston team has the potential to go pretty far into, this, into the playoffs by being unorthodox and by playing to their strengths of we're going to rely on the data, we're going to rely on James Harden um, with his step-back three-pointer that you know only he can seemingly uh, – uh, wield effectively in this game with Russell Westbrook being this I'll hide out in the dunker spot some nights I'll you know I'll be the attack dog off the dribble other nights and then just have all these high variance guys whether it's a Ben McElmore or, or a Robert Covington um, I think there is there is poison within that four teams in this league now I do think also that there is a more optimal version of what this team can be and I think that if you're having if you're having guy like for example, I would be fascinated what kind, what a team like this with LeBron James mm-hmm. would, would look like. 
LeBron James plus all wings. That is right. really like, interesting to me. And and that plays into where I think the the holes are on their roster. Uh, that the the series against them is to be won in the air. It's to be won uh, not even like in the post, but. In the first half of this game, one thing that was very apparent is we were just kind of throwing the ball up. Like, put-back offense was our best offense, and I think that that's something that the more pressure that we put on the rim, they're not going to be able to keep all of our guys off of the boards, away from – because that's a strength of this Lakers team, right? Now – what they what Houston does Houston's a really fascinating team to me and you set this up well with the different styles of basketball it's one of the beauties of basketball of committing to different identities and it doesn't have to be done one way and basketball is always progressing it's always moving to the next thing it's not stagnant in this is what basketball is there's always there are always teams that are pushing the boundaries of what it means to play basketball what's the best version of that and Houston with the application of analytics is one of those routes right and they were they've really gone all in on this style of play and so that it, it fascinates me from I think we're if nothing else whatever happens with Houston's season we're going to learn something about basketball from how their season goes and especially how their playoffs go. Um, that being said, they're uh, keeping the Lakers off the bat, off of the boards and off of around the basket is going to be difficult. Now, it was 39 to nothing on threes in the first half. So we have to – let me ask you this, Joey. To what – Houston – if we were to play Houston in a seven-game series, they are going to outscore us behind the three-point line. That's a, a fact. How close do we need to keep it in order to just mathematically hang with that team? Yeah, you know what? That's a great question. Um, I would say, and it's a very interesting question because the Lakers had literally one three-pointer for the majority of this game. Mm-hmm. And, and at one point, they were within five in the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter? Mm-hmm. The basketball is weird, is, is the takeaway from that. Um, to expand on that takeaway, I, I do think that you have to be within, you know, you, you can't have single-digit three-pointers against this team. I think that's kind of the benchmark here. You mm, have to I like double-digit threes um, just to make the math work. Or you have to be getting a ton of free throws, which I do think is possible with how Anthony Davis tends mm-hmm. to get to the free throw line against undersized teams. I do think mm-hmm. that is a great possibility. That I don't, You know, I have to check the game log um, to see how many free throws he shot in the first few meetings, the first two meetings against Houston. But I don't think he had one of those, you know, Memphis-type games or, you know, recently the Utah game where he's just mm-hmm. on a parade to the free throw line. I do think that is a potential antidote to cold shooting versus Houston. Um, but as a benchmark, I think that you want them at least hitting double digits. And then you start feeling good because not only is that the, the equation that, the, you know, the math work working out where it's keeping you into that, in that certain column close enough to make um, the, the math work, it's also making everything else better because your spacing is going to be better and you're giving yourself more room for Anthony Davis to go to work down low or for LeBron to drive to the hoop. And I, I don't know if you've been seeing the same thing, Pete, and we've, we've just gotten through talking about how it is a small sample size, so we're not trying to, you know, read too much into the way that the Lakers have been getting uh, played by other teams in this Orlando restart. But it does seem that with the, the shooting gun completely, you know, uh, sub-Arctic, that, mm-hmm. that LeBron does have fewer driving lanes and that AD is getting doubled on the catch a lot more. And so when you have that combination, 
you know, it, it's not like you can just dump it into AD and let him get a bucket when he's getting doubled literally every time he gets the ball. So you kind of do need that shooting to let everything else fall into place, especially on a team like this that is so paint uh, heavy. Yeah, you, you can't shoot as poorly as we have and get anywhere significant in the playoffs. I, I think that that benchmark of double-digit threes is is a good one, and that may mean we, we're getting doubled up in a particular game, by the way. That could be like a 22-11 to 11 scenario, but where we're still we're winning the offensive rebounding battle by enough, um, they can be... Yeah, that's you'll probably get them there a lot more than in the turnover battle. Um, you know, but putting pressure on the rim—that's what we do best. But yes, of course they're going to collapse the defense. And like, can NBA players make open shots? I, I'm over the course of a seven-game series. I feel okay about that. Houston's much higher variance than we are, right? So, like, there are going to be at least a couple games, at least. And, it's, and this is the scary part of Houston, is if they just catch fire for five games, they're, you, you might not beat them. Even if you played 100 times, maybe we'd beat them 60, 65 times. But they can beat those, anybody in that scenario. They can beat anybody if they get hot, right? And so, yeah, but I do think that that's, that's a good baseline, is it getting to that double digit. Now, the the way to defend them has struck me as interesting in that one thing with our team is we, we can be – our bigs are really susceptible to step-back moves. And – because I've been watching some tape, right? So I got got all the melts now, right? I uh, I haven't told you about this. This is a little – some work stuff on air, right? And, uh, I've been watching a lot of tape on Dame, right? Because I'm – I don't know about you, man. I'm looking at, looking at the standings and just knowing these dudes and who's left and the teams that are left. I'm like – I think we got a decent chance of facing Dame in that first round. That's a little bit scary. So I've been watching tape on Dame, and this is very much an easier said than done scenario. But there's also a not unlikely version of the playoffs where it, we'd get Portland in the first round, and if we were to get past them, to get Houston in the second round. And so you've got Damian Lillard, James Harden, Russell Westbrook. These are guards, man. Avery's out. Rondo's out. Right? We're we've got. Uh, Dion and, and Jr. being incorporated into the mix and all of that. So this is this will be a challenge. That's my my point with that. From watching the tape on Dame, and this just makes sense intuitively. It's with great as there've been many great guards in the NBA's history around their size. Is if you can funnel them into the bigs, that's where your greatest degree of success is in. So. My question to you is, I, I won't put you in kind of this like in-game scenario, Joey, all right? We have switched uh, Anthony Davis onto James Harden, right? So you've got a very capable defender, but you've got the most potent individual offensive scorer and, and weapon in the game in Harden. That's going to be a common, and that's going to be Cruz, that's going to be any number of guys. But for the sake of this scenario, it's Anthony Davis, he switched on to Harden. How do we need to defend Harden to get the like best outcomes on any particular on on particular plays? Like, what's the how how do we get him? How do we funnel him and not get burned by that step back? Yeah, that's that's like a, a two million dollar question or whatever whatever the top assistant coach gets paid in the NBA because sure, sure. whoever figures that out uh, deserves quite a big uh, sum there. What I think with, with guys like Harden and with guys like Dame, um, these just all world scorers 
these scores that you'll look back on in 20 years and be like, this guy was a killer. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's the level that these two are on. First ballot Hall of Fame type guys, yeah. Exactly. Um, with guys like that, th- I don't think there is any one antidote because, you know, they can score at all three levels. Obviously, James Harden doesn't really take mid-range shots, but he can if, uh, if he so chose. Um, they can score at all three levels. They can get to the foul line. Um, in these two cases specifically, they can go beyond the three levels. They kind of have that fourth level where they, mm, they have – The bombs, you know, yeah. Exactly. The bomb, the, the Steph Curry, Trey Young, Dame, James Harden. Like, that's the club. That's it. Um, they have that shot in their arsenal, which does open up the floor even beyond the what we think of as kind of max spacing. So I, to, I say that to set it all up. Like, these guys are absolute killers. With guys like that, I, I do believe that there's no one – solve there. You have to throw the entire kitchen sink at them. And, you know, I'll give credit to a guy that really showed his chops against the Lakers this week, which is Nick Nurse. We, the, the way he coached Toronto through the playoffs last season, breaking out box and ones and triangles and twos, and mm-hmm. just, you know, n- not leaning on, on even e- – not, e- not even leaning on just a regular toolbox. This guy brought the whole tool shed when it came – to how are we going to scheme against the best players in the NBA, including the Giannis's and the Stephs. Um, I think that's the way you got to do it. I think there's no one thing there. You have to, you have to try things. And, and there has been a lot the, – the one good thing about a James Harden is that there is a lot of data on how to defend him because pe- yes. his teams have tried a lot. Well, and because they run the same play all the time, right? Like, they, they don't do a lot. And that's not an insult. Like, yeah, give the ball to James Harden. That's a great plan. It legitimately is. But you've got, like – thousands of possessions of tape now on different teams trying this and different teams trying that. And that's one of the big distinctions with the playoffs is like in the regular season, like you see one team and they're gone, then you move on to the next team. But like actually sitting down to prepare for James Harden, for, you know, Russell Westbrook and and this Houston team, them being so different than everybody else is part of their advantage in that we move on to the next team afterward. I do think that, like, you set it up perfectly, man, that idea of trying a bunch of different things, but I do think that using our bigger guys to, like, look, you're going to get beat off the dribble. That's fine. Your job is to stay attached but not foul. Don't ride his shoulders so he can pull up and, like, pull up and then you run into him and then he flops, right, and gets to the free throw line. Don't you don't have to sit on, but you could still bother a shot from behind. So I'm sitting on his left shoulder or even behind on a lot of these and funnel him into the other play. You know, and we don't have. I'm talking Kuzma. I'm talking uh, who blocked a couple of Harden shots in this game. I'm talking uh, LeBron, guys who are athletic and can protect the rim against these types of guys, right? Like this is not. you know, a situation where you're keeping a there's a big physical mismatch. So that that's you know, in terms of scheming for them on a on a seven game series type of basis, I think that that you know that's something that that we'd end up doing. the The last part is their defense is really interesting to me in that they set up a lot of it's like fool's gold scenarios, right? Like really tempting situations like, oh, he got him on him down in the post. Like, go give, go give AD the ball, right? Like 15 feet from the hoop that I think kind of like suckers you into it's not as efficient as what do the Rockets need to do defensively to kind of like pull off this junk defense? It, it's not even that. They're, they're just small, right? Like what do they need to do to be effective against a team of our size, looking at from the opposite perspective? 
Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's the thing right there is that, and, and especially for James Harden, he's such a great post defender. He's, he's one of the strongest players in the league, and I don't think he really gets credit for that. Um, so he, do, he can hang on a possession with an Anthony Davis or with a Dwight Howard, and, and something that, to your point, that looks like a mismatch in favor of the Lakers may not be as effective as what it looks like on the surface. And I think that should a seven-game series happen between Lakers and the, and the Rockets, I think you will see Lakers fans being like, what the heck is happening? Why can't mm-hmm. we score? Why, sure. why can't our five-man score on their two-guard? Um, I, I think there will be frustrating possessions like that because that is how they are built, is to be that – back to what I was talking about earlier, that unorthodox swordsman. Now, where, where I think that they have to kind of figure it out is the, is the defensive glass. Because I think they can get away with playing five out on offense and just giving every single defensive rebound to whoever they're playing. I don't think mm-hmm. they can care less about having the offensive glass. Mm-hmm. But for them, the defensive glass, I think that's where the tide can kind of shift on them. If they're getting these massive three-point advantages, like that 39-0, they can give up some that on the other end with the offensive boards. Exactly, and and if you and if you compound that with again something we talked about earlier with them fouling, then that is a recipe for disaster on their end. So, so especially with the short rotation, really good point. Yes. Uh huh. So that's kind of where I see it from Houston. If they can defend without fouling, and 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 that's a lot harder to do when you have so many mismatches, um, just by virtue of playing small by design, and you get beat on the offensive rebounds, then all of a sudden you you're kind of in that land where, back to the point of the math it starts to flip on you. Um, if, they can, if they can do that successfully, though, I think they really are tough because they are, you know, this is like what, probably like V6 of, of the Houston Rockets um, in, in, <laughs> right. in this uh-huh. Mori Ball era. Sure. Um, V6 is a lot different than V1 and V3. And I think V6 is kind of, uh, I like the way you put it. it, it is kind of that fool's gold trap. It is, you know, I, I think the other versions of this team were kind of more surface level where it is, hey, we're going to shoot the ball and we're going to shoot the ball, and here's what we are, and you know what we are, but we're confident in the math. And it took them far. It took them to Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals. Now it's a little different. It's, hey, you think you know what we are, but we have Russell Westbrook on the offensive end, and we have a lot of stout defenders that happen to just be a few inches shorter than your guys on the defensive end. So while you might think you know the profile of our team, you really might not when it comes to playoff time and when that math starts to, to calculate. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good way of putting it. In a lot of ways, Westbrook's their five. He's the guy that puts pressure on the rim, at least on offense. He's he's their five, where PJ Tucker absorbs that. That's another thing about a seven game series. Like, man, they got to give that man a raise if he's going to be banging against AD and Dwight Howard for seven games. Like, if if, they, if he can do that, that's remarkable accomplishment. They're, the nature of their, I almost think of like, you know dinosaurs right like what takes down the t-rex it's not like some smaller it's like a swarm of small dinosaurs right and that we're kind of the t-rex in this scenario right lord like what and, and so houston's going to have to swarm the our our big big guys right like i think lebron in the post is going to be a remarkable weapon in a series against them um and because he's got a lot of like he knows how to spin off and he's obviously a great passer which is an area of the game that ad needs to work on out of the post a bit but uh yeah so i I think that's a that's a great weapon i think that ball fakes are one thing i'll be looking for because 
when teams are trapping and swarming, they got to bite on everything, right? Because they've got to get there quickly in order to. So, like, if PJ Tucker is fronting AD or in three quarter denial, and we throw that ball over the top, you're going to have Robert Covington and Jeff Green and whoever else on the weak side fly. Like, if it's going to work anyway, they've got to be coming flying in from that weak side. And so, like, any bit of deception that can use their eagerness to swarm against them, like, oh, ball fake this way, and we're Le- one of LeBron's great skip passes, that's a way. And then, mind you, we've got to not shoot 23% from three when that happens, right? So let's hope um, that, let's hope that we find ourselves in a position where, uh, you know, we regress to the mean a bit. Uh, like I said at the top of the show, I'm, I'm not that concerned, aside from – we need to start juicing it up. We need to start finding that joy again, start uh, getting some games under our belt where we do get that playoff momentum. But but all in all, I'm, I'm good. Uh, you had that great stat, the 6-14 and 14 stat, that I think really speaks to the personality of LeBron teams. Joey, this was a lot of fun, man. Thanks so much for, for joining me today. Anytime, man. And, and I'm, I'm happy to know that Darius is coming back, though. We, we need Bron back in the lineup. <laughs> Indeed, and on uh, multiple levels. But uh, <laughs> you were you you filled in. You were like THT in that second half, man. You were uh, all over the place, and and uh, although although not quite quite as green. I think you are ready for. I think it's more of a, I think it's more of a coos scenario with you, right? Where it's like, sure, check Joey out, you know. Like, Hey, yeah. I'll take them both. You've seen THT's highlight tape from the South Bay, man. Oh, yeah. No, that's I, I'm super, super excited. All right, everybody. Uh, we will, Darius will be back next week. Uh, until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front. Broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic. Got it. Magic fires. It's in. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Campbell in and out. The ball is tipped and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 15 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, royal. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot locked down. Lakers by three. Ryan is sitting in the lane, back for Gasol, credit pass, and it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pierce was jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Powell. There's the move. Two, two score. one, seven. Bryant, unbelievable. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me?